Welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman, and this week, we here in Bundesliga land, we are living in a world of infinite possibility. With me this week is podcast godfather, Terry DeFellon. Terry, are, are you feeling like the world is your oyster? I think anything is possible, but also at the same time, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I don't, I, I mean... It, Another week of, of somewhat unexpected results, and now fully half of the league is one win away from going top. <laughs> <laughs> Hapless Bayern fall victim to Augsburg Dusel. Plucky Dortmund squeak one at home against dominant league-leading side Gladbach. And, well, Schalke, they have an absolute allergy to the league's summit. They can't quite get up there. A lot to sort out when you aren't quite sure what's in the pecking order, who's who, what goes where. But we're going to try after a short break. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball. It's where we talk about the best of the match day. This week was match day eight. And man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man, where do we even begin? Let's just start off by taking a look at the Bundesliga table, which I would have to say is in a more chaotic state after eight match days than I have seen it at any given time since I've been watching the Bundesliga closely, which is, you know, a fair number of years now anyway. We've got Gladbach and Wolfsburg level on points at the top to mm, somewhat unexpected candidates to uh, tank the league. Bayern and Dortmund, sort of the usual suspects, on 15 points along with Leipzig. These three are the ones that I think most folks thought were going to be in the frame to, to, to be up at the top. Then some, some surprises in Freiburg and Schalke on 14 points along with Frankfurt and Leverkusen, a couple of stronger teams from the last couple of years. But, you know, if, if you hadn't noticed, that's nine teams that I just said. They're all within two points of one another. I mean, depending on the way results play out next week, any one of those nine teams could go top. That's insane. It sure is insane. I mean, I'm not suggesting this is inherently insane, but when you consider the season that Schalke had last season, they could have gone top this season were it not for that uh, pathological aversion to that level of pressure and success against Hoffenheim. It's absolutely insane. It's good to see, you know, uh, Freiburg still up there, even though they lost at the weekend. It's good to see the smaller club still getting it done. But even, you know, there's stories there. I mean, like Frankfurt have had a really difficult summer, and I think everyone would have forgiven them if they'd had a fairly humdrum, not much season this season. And I suppose after eight games, they may yet do. But it looks like they've gone, hmm, we've lost a bunch of good players. No worries, lads. We'll just sign another bunch of good players and away we go. And it does look like they're away they go there. So, you know, even beyond the obvious, you know, tremendous, very, very narrative-laden issues like Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund, you know, we could still look to this wide amount of successful Bundesliga teams getting it done. Or are they? Or are they just all different shades of hopelessness? <laughs> exactly. I, well, I mean, there's a lot of teams whose seasons have had real contour to them, shall we say. I mean, you know, Bayern and Dortmund and Leipzig have all had, you know, sort of turns at which they looked like they were going to start cruising. And for some reason or another, something that they just sort of gotten in their own way. I mean, Wolfsburg, of course, they are, are, are you know, unbeaten 
so far in this season, but man, have they drawn a lot of games. You know, even Hertha and Hoffenheim, two teams who came out of the gate looking like absolute trash, are now basically three points off of Europe. I mean, you know, it's eight games in. All the margins are a bit finer at this part of the season. It's just getting really difficult to interpret what's going on. What did you make of, you know, our recent guest, Mark Lovell's sort of stolid contention that, you know what, whenever the the dust settles on this one, it's still going to be Bayern winning the league by 10 plus points. Is that a sneaking suspicion for you? Or is that more just like a, a, a little birdie that's in your ear that you just want to shoo away and get him, get, get him out of your ear? Well, uh, in many, many, many meaningful ways, Mark Lovell is a beautiful man, but he's also a miserable old son. <laughs> and uh, He will uh, take that in the very best, best light. Of course, of course. His prediction, if indeed it is that, it is an entirely reasonable prediction. That is usually what happens. I mean, we can look at last season and think that Bayern had a pretty ropey, shaky start to the season. It took a while for them to hit their stride. They did hit their stride. And moreover, their big challenger, Dortmund, had a significant wobble from which they never really recovered and were unable to win the title. By the time they got back on their feet... Even though they took it right to the final day of the season, there was this kind of sense of inevitability about it. That could easily happen again. The dynamic is really because there's no obvious front runner at the moment that comes forward. And, you know, with the best will in the world, although Borussia Mönchengladbach are top, really any of those teams right now could be top and we would still be having this same conversation, I think. So I think Mark is probably kind of right, but I mean, it's a crushing bore to say it and we should just dismiss it as out of hand as being too depressing. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we all have enough crashing boredom elements in our lives <laughs> and, and they're always there, but we just, you know, have to make the best effort that we can to ignore them. <laughs> Let's sort of dig into how all this this happened on the Bundesliga motorway. This this nine car pileup got to where it is. I think probably the natural place to start is with Bayern Munich. They were one of the teams who probably looked at what they the task that was set for them for the weekend and thought to themselves maybe to their eventual peril, that this was the easiest thing on, on offer. They were facing a trip to Augsburg. This is a you know a very very easy away trip. It's you know hardly it, it's a bus ride, a pretty easy bus ride away from their training ground. This is a team that they have beaten many a time, and somehow they didn't get it done. It was a two two draw in the end, and now Bayern are really well and truly in a rough patch. They have you know had two weeks, one a home loss against Hoffenheim, following it up now after the international break when they should have been able to collect their thoughts and get things back on track with a sloppy draw in Augsburg. I mean, the story of this game, as far as I can tell, is that they didn't have any trouble at all creating chances in this one. I mean, they they had over three expected goals in this game, but defensively, it was absolutely not a good day for Bayern. They gave up a lot of chances to Augsburg, a team who don't often create them. They certainly won't be helped in the future by some even worse news for their defense, which is to say uh, Nicholas Zula. Pretty much their their rock in central defense is going to be out with an ACL tear for undetermined number of months. But knowing ACL tears in the past, that can be anywhere from, you know, four to eight months. Terry, this could turn out to be a game that that 
will prove pivotal if Bayern don't get things sorted out either in, in terms of of you know cutting out mistakes in defense or finding a replacement either within or without their squad for Nicolas Zula, who is you know Mister Everything for them back there. Yeah, that's the second worst player I think that they could lose to injury. The obviously the worst being Lewandowski. Yeah, it's a disaster for them, and uh, yeah, it, it, things were shaky enough up until this point, that they're going to have to do quite a lot of rethinking to try and resolve these uh, defensive problems that they've got going forward. And at this point, it's difficult to know. Like I said earlier, Bayern, they do go on a journey. You can kind of imagine that they will probably improve. But I think, if anything, there's going to be greater pressure on their uh, attacking forces to score more goals and try and win game 6-4, at least until you know they can figure out what to do in terms of signing a replacement or relying more on Hernandez or, you know, or whatever it is that they want to do to try and bridge that gap. They must be wondering whether or not it was wise to sell bubbles to Dortmund at this point. Yeah, yeah. We indeed had a listener question from Timmy Jur on Twitter about this, one, asking whether we reckon Bayern are going to have to buy uh, an overpriced defender. And, and by that, overpriced, it just means a January defender. They're all overpriced at that time of year, but in Bayern's terms. Or whether they might try and go with Hernandez or perhaps even Javi Martinez, who, of course, in his earlier in his Bayern career, used to play in central defense from time to time. And, and you know, is a guy who has not been really in the reckoning the way he once was at Bayern. And, and if he was open to the idea, I think it might be an interesting one if you said to him, you know what, if you want to play, we'll put you back there and you can play every week, buddy. Yeah, I mean, and it might well be that that's just the more practical option to take, assuming, as you say, the player's up for it. You've got to assume he's a professional and he'll, you know, take the opportunity to get back into that first team with regularity and with both hands. Yeah, going for a January signing just doesn't sound like a buy-in thing to do. There's a possibility, I suppose, they might be able to get someone on loan. But, you know, these top-class centre-backs are just gold dust. There isn't a team that's going to want to or going to be able to afford to let a player go in the uh, mid-season break, no way, in any division really, unless they were facing some kind of horrific financial calamity and they needed to clear the decks really, really soon. But So their other option might be to try and see if they can pick up a older defender coming towards the end, older player to, to coming towards the end of their of their tenure to, as a bit of a stopgap. But it's going to make a big hole. I mean, they need to address the replacement for Zula in the summertime. It's a horrible thing to say, and you, I wish Zula very well. But I was struck by something that John Harding said in a tweet that, you know, this is his second ACL tear, I think, or it's certainly his second serious knee injury. And while I'm certain he will be back, he won't be the same guy. He won't be the same player. And there's a possibility that, you know, Bayern need to start thinking about the reality of probably replacing him in the longer term. He may yet have a role to play, but it won't be the same. But for now, yeah, I think they're just going to have to make do amend. Uh, and just plough on. I mean, and hope that the rest of the Bundesliga teams just carry on taking points off of each other, which they seem to be obliging at the moment. <laughs> just bide their time. I mean, there is some wisdom in that philosophy, I think, considering Bayern's attack in most games anyway. I mean, there's been some exceptions, of course, the, the Hoffenheim game where things didn't quite go their way. But man, you know, Lewandowski, he scored in all eight of 
these, uh, you know, opening eight Bundesliga fixtures. He's on a pace to, you know, chase Gerd Müller's record. Serge Gnabry, who had a goal and an assist in this draw with Augsburg, he's really turning into an elite dribbler, an elite creator of chances. You know, Philip Coutinho, when when he's sort of on song with, with those two guys, I have every... <laughs> confidence that Bayern's ability to score goals is going to sort of get them places in in this this season but there's going to be some white knuckle moments where they just they can't keep out goals and for my money I, that's the most entertaining option we could we could ever have yeah. is to have Bayern you know have to beat people in shootouts yeah, absolutely. I mean, we like I said, win every game 6-4. And I don't think that it necessarily impacts their Champions League hopes as well. I mean, I think we can assume they'll get out of the group stage, no problem. And I think in t- when you get into the knockout stages, then you, you are, you know, you're only playing a handful of games. So the further, so you don't have to necessarily worry about how you handle the fitness levels of game after game after game after game like you have in the Bundesliga but if they are if they decide maybe to put some more emphasis on the Champions League as a competition that they really want to win then I don't think it will necessarily interfere with them there the biggest problem that they'll have going forward obviously is if they lose Lewandowski but that makes no difference I mean like they it doesn't matter where they get hurt in anywhere else on the pitch they were always going to get hurt if they end up losing Lewandowski for any prolonged period of time due to injury. I mean, he, that guy, you know, they have got great attacking options, but he is part of that system, an essential component of that system. And if he were to be removed from that, they would need time to be able to just adjust their play so that they can carry on scoring goals. And that's where things could get tricky. It's not just the goals he scores. It's also the situations that he creates within that attack for more goals. But I agree with you about Nabry. He's emerged, hasn't he, this season? He's now, he's now among the elite attacking players and among the best in the world, or at least he's certainly heading that way. And it's good, It's going to be a good news story for that guy. Yep, yep. I'm glad, actually, that he sort of has matured at the time that he has, that it took him... Man, <laughs> a lot of people waited a long time on that guy, and a lot of people ended up giving up on him, perhaps prematurely. But... I'm really glad that he found a role for himself at, at a big club where he is actually going to be getting a, a ton of games. It seemed for a while in, you know, in the period when he was sort of, you know, playing a big role at small clubs that once he made the move to Bayern that it was going to be a, a, a move too far. But uh, he's absolutely grown into uh, being a, an attacking centerpiece for Bayern. And that's really, really cool. Yeah, just a bit of a weird thing considering, uh, you know, there was some precedence for the way that Bayern ended up losing this game, which is to say to a very early and a very late goal. You know, they did show last year that they had a propensity to give up very early goals to Augsburg. Of course, it was not quite the same. Didn't, things didn't play out quite the same, but Bayern have been caught napping early at, at times. Yeah, absolutely. And indeed, going to bed early as well. And the, the Augsburg have taken points off them. They've had some 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 moments against, against Bayern. And I mean, you could, if you wanted to, you could put this down as a combination of uh, a little bit ragged after the international break in combination with playing a small but local rival that can give them a bloody nose occasionally combined with a Champions League match coming up pretty soon as well. And, you know, just the reality is, is that the squad is not that deep. But I think Bayern fans will probably be thinking that we should be thinking a little bit more about Kovac and, you know, whether or not he's getting this through, getting the intensity through to the players, whether or not the players are 
showing enough concentration to be able to go the whole 1995 minutes and close out these kind of results that they should be able to do, especially from the position that they are in. And I think those are fair criticisms of Bayern Munich and, and of the coach. But I just think when you've got a small-ish squad and huge expectation and, you know, right in the thick of the of the Champions League campaign, which you, you need to get done as quickly as possible, then I think we can kind of forgive any kind of drop-offs in concentration. The trick will be, you know, when we get into the Rookerunda, things start to get real. Then, you know, we'll see We'll see what kind of Bayern are then. Yeah, and we did see, if I read, I, I guess I read this account of the press conference after the Augsburg-Bayern draw from Saturday, that uh, Niko Kovac showed a little bit of, I don't know, perhaps uncharacteristic tetchiness in that <laughs> it was a, a journalist for an Augsburg newspaper was serving up a real softball of a question to Martin Schmidt, something to the effect of like, so do you think that it was the team who showed more boldness or a bravery at the end was what put you guys over the top? I mean, which is obviously not a great question. It was just one that basically this this journalist had his angle worked out and he wanted to have a quote that would support his angle. And man, Kovac, he, he, he jumped in and said, pardon me, Martin, I need to jump in and basically defend my team here and say, did you see how many chances we had? Do you see how many times we went forward? Did you see the fact that we it wasn't that we were trying to shut things down at the end, we were still going forward? And to call us not the, the braver or, or, or less bold team is a BS angle. I mean, he, he basically just didn't just sit there and, and let this silly dance play out that happens at all kinds of post-game press conferences. He he felt that he had to jump in. Well, that's an understandable reaction. I mean, if your team's going for it, and uh, but and, but then to give up a goal in that manner and 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 you know it is in many ways it's kind of it's it's sloppiness that you just not is not characteristic of Bayern Munich because we set much much higher standards to them and so and that that kind of tetchiness is is possible. I mean, it might have been wise if he just bit his tongue and just like let the guy have his moment and uh, and then just cracked on. But but yeah, I mean, perhaps that's a measure Matt, of how much pressure he's feeling right now. Yeah, I I feel like a tart remark following Schmidt's answer might have uh, might have done the trick, but you know, <laughs> then then the writer who wrote the article about that situation wouldn't have had an angle for his story, which is too bad. Then I wouldn't have mentioned it in the podcast. <laughs> Let's move on from Bayern, or, or I guess we could briefly address the fact that they have that Champions League trip at midweek. It's it's. One of their easier fixtures in the group stage. It's a trip away to Piraeus, you know, outskirts of Athens to play Olympiakos. So that one probably is not on their minds in terms of uh, of a tough opponent. But certainly if you say that, that, you know, Bayern are taking this competition a little bit more seriously, perhaps, or considering turning some of their attention to that t- tournament, I, I, I wouldn't think that would be a bad idea, considering the fact that they have absolutely owned the Bundesliga for seven years now and, and you know, haven't won a Champions League since 2013. It, maybe it's time. It, yeah, I mean, I think it is definitely time that they kicked on, although it's not an ideal season for them to be doing that because of the squad depth issues that they have. But, I mean, for every year is a is a year where Bayern have to have a tilt for it. But I think after the shooing that they gave Tottenham the other week, they have an opportunity to really just try and get out of this group, get this group settled early doors. 
And so, I mean, this is definitely a game that you would be genuinely shocked if they were to not come away with at least a point and really... You'd be, you know, pretty surprised if they didn't win the game completely. But it is a game that does need to be done. The journey has to be made and the work needs to be done. So I don't think anyone's going to be expecting them to be caused too much trouble in Athens. Indeed, indeed. Let's uh, let's let's turn our attention over to a team whose Champions League program, as well as their league and DFB Pokal program, is... <laughs> going to be pretty interesting in the coming weeks, as I'm sure you are aware, along with the team who they are, you know, have another couple of dates with coming up. This is uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Borussia Dortmund. Of course, they uh, had, you know, a pretty tight game this weekend. It was a 1-0 win, of course, for Dortmund in the end that helped stop a three straight draw slide that they were experiencing. But it was certainly not an easy result for them to get. Some might even say that it was a lucky result considering we had a a 1.6 to 3.2 XG deficit in this game. That's a pretty crazy one considering Gladbach did not manage a goal at all. Marco Royce's goal was all that it took actually to tip the scales in the end, but there was so much more action in this game. I mean, we, there was two Dortmund goals chalked off for offside. There was two near fouls from Roman Burki on Briel Embolo when the attacker had broken free to play the keeper one-on-one. Berkey went off with an injury, which brought on Marvin Hitz, whose heroics helped save the game for Dortmund. I mean, this was was pretty action-packed. Are you just relieved to get out of this one with with a win. Oh, sure, yeah. It's a really satisfying 1-0 win, especially in view of all the incidents that you've just, you know, listed out there, Matt. I mean, just to not concede a goal and certainly just to not throw away points is just something of a novelty these days for Borussia Dortmund. So it's a tremendous win against, you know, the top of the table team. So you've got to be, you've got to be happy. You've got to be happy with that. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other one that I didn't bring up, which, you know, Craig Shapiro, one of our resident Gladbach lovers in the talking foosball crowd, brought up with this, and this is, I don't want to take us down VAR alley too far, but this was another instance of the more replays you look at, the more you're like, what? <laughs> Why didn't they call that one for uh, for Gladbach? Did that give you a little bit of a start when you saw those replays go across your screen again and again? Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been at all surprised if VAR had found in favor, really. But I mean, I, I think I've made my position on VAR clear. I won't do it again. But I think that what VAR does is it does teach us how the laws of the game are interpreted by referees and I think that we're still in that stage at the moment where we look at something and think well you know how's he given that but obviously they are professional referees they know the laws and they look at these things and go well no that is or it's certainly nothing going on there that I'm going to I'm willing to overturn any original on on screen decision but yeah I mean in terms of the context of the game I mean like of course nothing would have surprised me at all I mean I, I wouldn't have been remotely surprised if Dortmund had even lost that game it was an incredibly close game and it was a very exciting game and I think that you know it was it was just the game that Dortmund won I don't think there's really anything that we can any Dortmund fan can glean from there we haven't learned anything more Dortmund has still got good players Gladbach have still got good players and in a close game Dortmund just about shaded it sure sure I mean I, I think it was pretty 
pretty encouraging. One of the stories that was sort of making a lot of the headlines on the run-up to this game, at least the day of the game, when it was clear that Lucien Favre had made the decision not to add Jaden Sancho to the match day squad, that this is a team that has some depth. Not only did Sancho miss the game because of suspension, coming back late from England duty, Mario Götze was sick. Paco Alcacer, was he sick or injured? I don't remember. And so, you know, Dortmund had to, to make a lot of changes. They had to start some guys who hadn't gotten a lot of starts. They moved some people around. I mean, Julian Weigel played in the center of defense with, with Mats Hummels. Uh, Kanji moved out to the right. Brandt was sort of doing this interesting tag team, 10 striker swap thing with, with Royce. And it wasn't a swashbuckling performance, but it got the job done. I, I have to say that in a lot of ways, for a coach who has taken a lot of heat lately, which is to say Lucien Favre over, over you know, the last few weeks of a lot of draws and, and sort of lackluster performances or giving up leads, whatever, this was a pretty vindicating night for him. And he seemed to really, <laughs> really relish it after the game. I mean, he was at, at the press conference. He was like, you guys have a good night. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the talk in the press was that Dortmund are already looking for a replacement coach, and this is something that Sebastian Kael had to deny was happening. Although, I must confess, I don't hold it against any club for looking for replacement coaches in this profession. Uh, of course you do, because you never know when you need to sack a coach, or indeed, you know, in a lot of cases, you never know when the coach might say, hey, I've had a better offer somewhere else. Not likely to happen in Dortmund's case, but all the same, you want to have a short list of coaches available in the event that you need to make a change quickly. So I don't. I think it's, it's a question of context. It's like, are we looking to sack the coach? No. Are we looking to replace the... Are we looking for possible replacements to the coach? Well, yes. But the thing is, I think that contextually, that's still difficult to justify. And I think that media will look at that and say, ha, you want to get rid of your coach? And say, well, actually, that's not quite how it is. I'm not quite certain that I can put my finger on to what extent. It's difficult to separate what happens on the pitch with narrative. And the narrative of Dortmund for the last few weeks has been, you know, lack of intensity. And at times when you watch them play, there seems to be a real visible lack of energy sometimes when you see them play. They almost seem to sort of grind to a halt sometimes. And this is being laid on the coach and this is being laid on the players with varying degrees of emphasis. And it's difficult to know really what what is underlying that. And it's understandable that you might look at the coach and think, look, is this a systemic problem that we're having here with the coach? He's not setting the team up correctly. And these are reasonable questions to ask, they're particularly reasonable questions to ask if you happen to run the football club. But yeah, a night of great relief. And yeah, I mean, in many ways, a 1-0 win is a really good vindication against a good side. I mean, it sounds daft, but... If you win a game like this, if you win a game three or four nil, then you know that the opposition's been garbage. Whereas if you win a game one nil, the chances are you've come out of a really tough game and you've earned that win. And I think, yeah, I think hopefully Lucien Favre will be will be resting a little bit easier this weekend. Yeah, yeah, but not for long. No, never um, for long. Well, because they got into as, it, as I made a little bit. Of- <laughs> Yeah, they, got, they got into it, and then they got the Revere Derby, and then and so they're in for a tough couple of games. So. They got Inter away on Wednesday. They've got Schalke away next weekend. They've got Gladbach at home again next Wednesday, followed by Wolfsburg at home (laughs) the next weekend, followed by Inter at home, followed by Bayern away. So literally the next 20 days or so for this team are going to bring an 
absolute murderer's row yeah. of matches. But the good news is, is that we'll know a lot more about how the season's going to play out when we come out of the other end of that. And we'll probably know who our coach is as well. <laughs> because because there's every possibility that, that Dortmund could be 12th, effectively out of the Champions League and looking for a new coach. Hmm. Yeah, there there is that. <laughs> I guess there's a bright side to this, too. I mean, if they were to win out or if they were to, you know, only lose one of those games, I think we could also be looking at Dortmund getting some separation from the nine-car pileup. Indeed. Well, this is the glory at this point in the season. I mean, it's only eight games, but with so many teams involved, it really literally is all to play for right now. It's 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 fun times. We should be celebrating. Yep. Yep. It's funny. I, I Very often, uh, the fixture list by this point in the season, and certainly later in the season, you look at some of the games and just think, <laughs> who in the world wants to watch that other than, <laughs> than the fans of, the, of one of the two teams? And at the moment, there's just you know, you, you don't know which way to look at times Ooh. because there's a lot of credible sides. There's a lot of teams playing each other close. I'm loving it. All killer, no filler, my friend. All killer, no filler. <laughs> it's like we're advertising the Bundesliga here. What are we doing? Uh, call me. Be in touch. So we, we had some other games that had some pretty big impact on the top of the table. As I mentioned before, we had a team go into top slot, not quite, only level on points with the top slot. That is Wolfsburg. They uh, stay unbeaten. And Rasenballsport stay at the top table with their draw. That was a 1-1 draw in Leipzig. Timo Werner absolutely battled his way into that opening goal while Wout Weghorst was just one of many battlers for Wolves to even the score with eight minutes to go in that game. I reckon this was a pretty interesting look at two teams who were sort of, I don't know, cruising along, but not necessarily hitting full stride just yet. What did you make of this? Yeah, I don't know quite what's happened with Leipzig. They, uh, earlier in the season, well, a few couple of weeks ago, because we asked it early in the season, I was settling down and thinking to myself, yeah, Leipzig are probably comfortably the best or the second best team in this division. It doesn't look like it's going to be Dortmund. It looks like it's going to be Leipzig. And then suddenly not. Wolfsburg are a bit of a conundrum because of all of, as you mentioned, the draws that they've been having. On another season... I wonder whether or not they'd be enjoying the status that they currently have. I mean, obviously, the unbeaten is unbeaten, but, you know, with those four draws that they've had well, in the last sort of like, you know, uh, well, the last half a dozen games or so, if the game, if the league wasn't quite so fluid, I think they might be a little bit further down the table. That said, they are reaping the dividends of some wise uh, recruitment and some wise coaching decisions that they've made. I think bringing in, clearly bringing in Oliver Glasner has been an outstanding move. They are something of the grey mouse that they used to be now, Wolfsburg, but they do have, you know, they have recruited sensibly for a team within their means. And uh, bringing back Bastos into the Bundesliga was a very good idea, and Jao Felix looks like he's working out very well as well. But, you know, they've also, you know, still got that strength for the back. And William is, I think, three seasons now is in, in the Bundesliga, turning into, I think, one of the best right-backs in that league, in my humble opinion. So they've got a lot going for them. So they've got that nice combination of sort of like, you know, good preparation, good squad building, and now a coach that's just taken to the Bundesliga like a duck to water. Yep, yep. I also find the relationship between this club 
you know, you can see that these players are playing for each other, like each other. You can see also that they're trying to build something with the fans. I mean, I noticed that Vekhorst went to the corner flag in front of the away fans and pointed at the back of his shirt to the, the word Wolfsburg. And this is a club who's had some pretty bad experiences in the last I don't know. Last year was probably their best year in some time, but they'd had, you know, <laughs> the years with a lot of random Valerian Ismail types uh, coaching them, where some of the fans just lit into these these players as saying they were mercenaries. You know, they all lived, you know, far away and just took the train in for, for training. And the fact that you're having a guy try and, you know, pledge his allegiance to what amounts to a, a pretty sleepy town is really encouraging. And, and, will probably go a long way to bringing good feeling in this club, which is not always known for that. And required because, you know, yeah, you look at their home games and you don't see, you know, apart from, you know, where the ultras are, it's, it's, you see an awful lot of empty seats now, despite everything. So yeah, they've got to work some, some way in, in getting back. It, it's a tricky, it's a funny situation, Wolfsburg, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a by all accounts, you know, it is by definition a plastic club, but it is a, one of those kind of more older-fashioned plastic clubs, a, a works club. But, you know, Wolfsburg is just a, literally just a one-industry town. I mean, there's not much exciting there. You know, it's not easy to attract good players. So, I mean, I think Jörg Schmatke deserves a degree of credit for getting the right kind of pros in. Yeah, they've got a car factory, a car museum, a football stadium, and an outlet mall. And they're all within walking distance of each other. And don't try and go anywhere else because there's nothing, nowhere else to go. Um, but they've got a nice transport link to Berlin as well. And I think that's probably at the heart of the, of the criticism, isn't it, really? Is the... Yeah, everyone just wants to get out. Anyway, we had, you know, 90 minutes level between German coaching Wunderkind, Julian Nagelsmann's uh, RB Leipzig, and the, the, the shooting star known as Oliver Glasner's uh, Wolfsburg. As most of you guys know, Germany and the Bundesliga more broadly have totally become known as uh, an incubator for coaches. Inspirational figures like Jurgen Klopp, tactical eggheads like Thomas Tuchel, training ground coaches who have become club architects like Ralf Rangnick. Uh, this week we have an interview with a guy who's been spending a lot of time thinking about what it is about German coaches that makes them stand out. He's got an interesting answer. Jonathan Harding, the author of Mensch, argues that it's often the human qualities of these coaches that give them a leg up. He set out to tell that story through a series of conversations with coaches from the youth level to the Bundesliga level. My colleague Nick Wildhagen of Talking Foosball Extra talked to this uh, book author about the atmosphere uh, at one of the Bundesliga's overachiever clubs and the role that their talismanic coach plays in their success. I um, mean, that we, we could have a whole pod. I'm, you know, I'm sure that there have been previous podcasts on how great Freiburg have been. It's a special place. It's a very strong, there's a great sense of community in the city of Freiburg. I think I'm right in saying that it's the green capital of Germany in so many different ways. It's a very unique place. It's a very, it's got a strong bond. And I think Christian Streich, you know, he embodies that. Obviously, he played there as a player and he ended up coaching, I think, something like over 200 games at youth level, and he knows the club, he understands the club. And you're talking about a small place in the Black Forest, which arguably has, on paper, no right to be in the Bundesliga. And I think some Freiburg fans will tell you that they probably still can't believe that they stay in the Bundesliga year after year after year, because, you know, as modern football continues to eat more and more of 
what I think a lot of football fans consider to be old-fashioned clubs. It's amazing that Freiburg have continued to stay there and to be so consistent. That's a testament to Christian Streich, a coach who is a perfect fit for this club because he understands the community, not just because he was he's from the area and he gets it, but because he is connected with the people there and he's connected with the players and he has created an environment which reflects the community. It's definitely a football team that understands the community that it serves. And I don't think it's ever lost sense of that. I'm very keen to see how they navigate their move away from the brilliant Schwarzwaldstadion because it's such a brilliant stadium right in the corner of the forest. I'm keen to see whether that changes some of the culture because obviously it's a big change for the club. But Streich, what he does is he is not afraid to tackle bigger issues. He's not afraid to tackle social issues. And I do think that he sees football as a way to educate his players in, in life. And I get the feeling that there's a bit of an unspoken education that goes on there for any player who's ever played at that club. They come away feeling like they have not just grown as a player, but also as a person. I, I have a strong sense or a, I suppose a hunch based on everything that I've read and experienced and, and heard from people who have regular contact with the club that that's the case. It's such a unique place that Christian Streich really enables that kind of learning. You know, there are so many examples of you know, Niels Petersen, I think, gave an interview. I think it was very telling where he he said he couldn't believe that he was earning so much money or along the same lines because he thought he was so, you know, lacking in education that he wasn't very smart. He didn't feel very smart. And yet here he was playing football. I think he called himself daft. even. Yeah. And, and I thought that was so telling that, A, he felt he could say that publicly because, let's be honest, how many footballers feel strong enough to say that? I think that's a testament to the strength of character that... Streich has probably given him through this environment, and B, that Freiburg responded in turn by sending him, you know, leaflets and tickets to places and saying, you know, if you need anything, that to me does, is just sort of the personification of why, why it's such a special club. And Christian Streich, I cannot imagine not being the coach of, of SC Freiburg. All right, that was Jonathan Harding, the author of Mensch, Beyond the Cones. It's a, a book out now. You can get it on Amazon or at the uh, the local bookshop as long as they have a nice section of football books. You're going to want to check it out. If you want more of that interview, you can, of course, become a supporter of our show on Patreon. It's your pledges that make this show go. And as a thank you, we do provide some bonus content like the full version of this interview and like Talking Foosball Extra, a show featuring none other than Terry DeFillin. We've actually got a show lined up for this week, right? Any any highlights you want to bring up? Yeah, we're actually in the can, so uh, it's good to go. We, we had a, a fairly lengthy conversation about the International Week, and we have that full interview with uh, with John, and we also we did uh, dwell on the controversy with the uh, military salutes by the Turkish national team and the Turkish Bundesliga players, who some of who did and some who did not perform that salute, and uh, we have a conversation about that, and uh, it's all waiting for you once it's been uploaded, and all there for you if you join me as a fellow patron of Talking Foosball. Spectacular. I, I'm looking forward to listening to it very much. All right, we'll be back after a break. All 
All right, here comes part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day. You know, lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff got sort of crammed into the rest section, which could have gone just as well into the best section. And this is uh, becoming a recurring theme on this podcast this season because things are so tight. But I guess maybe we could start with the match that ended the match day, which, as we mentioned uh, in the opener, was Schalke's big chance to go top in this league, which, you know, for a second week running, they sort of shied away from standing there in the spotlight. It was a 2-0 loss in uh, Zinsheim to Hoffenheim, and it was a game that looked like it was going to go their way for much of the first half, for the first part of the second half, and then just somehow got away from them. They were they were picked off by a pretty pretty canny Hoffenheim side on the break. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, somebody uh, flicked a switch in that game, didn't it? And it just went, uh, just went from being all Schalke to, to to all Hoffenheim. David Wagner must be just distraught because he's made a decision, I think, to persist with Guido Bergstaller, who is a wonderful player in many respects, but not for me. I think, a, I think when they signed him, I think it was always supposed to be as a kind of a stopgap player. I don't think that he was still supposed to be <laughs> there. It's just they don't seem to have anyone that David Wagner is willing to trust to bring in to just provide that sharp edge up front. That said, I haven't looked at the XG. Now, I'm willing to bet that not many chances were really created. So for all of the possession and for all of the activity... And for all that it looked like, he was really watching this game and thinking, this isn't just a game that's being given, the team that's being given possession. This is a team that's taking the game by the scruff of the neck and for some reason is just not rewarding itself with the goals its play clearly deserves. And then as the football gods, as we know the football gods, punish such teams, and they surely were punished by some excellent counter-attacking play by Hoffenheim. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting you bring up uh, Guido Burgstaller, <laughs> because certainly from what I can tell of uh, the Schalkerati on Twitter, his name is coming up a whole lot right now as a guy who is, you know, an absolute worker bee, somebody who, you know, you love to have in your team when... You know, he's setting an example for other players or, or having your team when things aren't going so well, but he's the guy who never gives up. But when it really comes down to it and you need someone to score goals, he's just not going to do it. No. And I, I, I'm afraid that that might be the case. No, absolutely. I mean, he's he's by now he should be at that young squad the old head at the young squad in the somewhere in the middle of the Zweite Bundesliga right now, helping out a, a young team, you know, and providing some leadership in that dressing room. He's not, he should have left Schalke some time ago because I think that, you know, the job that he's done there when they brought him in has now been done and they need to, to come in there. But, you know, Schalke have had difficulty getting the right striker in. I mean, it didn't work out with Mbolo. It really hasn't worked out with Mark Oot. Benito Rama hasn't really impressed either Katuchu maybe at least he scored a goal but clearly David Wagner doesn't feel he's ready for that kind of responsibility or I don't know what it is maybe Schalke fans will have a much much better idea as a Dortmund fan I'm probably the last person to have an opinion on this but in many many other respects Dortmund are getting things absolutely right 
I mean, Amin Harit's emergence or re-emergence, I should say, now after his difficult times uh, past him. You know, I, I read a report that there are Barcelona scouts uh, since I'm this afternoon to watch him play. You know, I mean, I think that the move for John Joe Kenny was a great one. I'm very excited to watch Matundo play. You know, there's there's lots to really like about this Schalke side. And you could probably say that this is a bit of an aberration and just genuinely reflective of what an odd season it's been. But, you know, what Schalke would give for a a Kramerich, you know, or you know, or a Bibu of their own <laughs> to, to put these chances away. Yep, yep. You actually uh, put your finger on a nice thing, which is to say, first of all, you you brought up the XG situation and how you hadn't seen it. I just looked it up. Schalke actually were uh, <laughs> not that on the mark in the game. It was 0.86 XG versus uh, Hoffenheim's 0.97. So they can't have too many complaints about losing this one, perhaps not by a 2-0 margin, but, you know, the point is is still there. And, you know, you bring up Andre Kramerich is a really great example of a player who goes through occasional dips in form, and really he's just coming out of one now in terms of, of scoring. And it's great to see him, you know, put a chance away as, as sort of emphatically as he did today. But man... <laughs> That's the kind of player that Schalke should should be going shopping for. A guy who basically is has the talent slash, you know, guaranteed production that wouldn't be out of place at a much bigger club. I mean, you could see him as being a, a substitute for a very big club, Kramerich. He, you know, put his faith in Hoffenheim. He stuck, stuck with them after that big World Cup run. But I wouldn't be surprised if he might be ready to listen to some offers. Yeah, no. Why not? No, no question. I think that the best that Hoffenheim can probably hope for might be Europa League this season. I mean, they've had some great results. They had a great result against Bayern, but it's taking them time to, to feel their way in. I think he's ready for a level up, and I'm certain that there will be clubs that will be ready for him. It's just really a, it's just a matter of time, really, I mean, and I'm sure that time will probably be in the summer. Yes, yes, indeed, yes, indeed. All right, let's 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 move things on then, unless you have some more thoughts about Hoffenheim. I, I don't particularly at the moment. I'm, I've been shocked to see them wake up so abruptly in this season after looking so indifferent early on well i mean unfortunately i only caught highlights of the buying game so i don't have much of an opinion about about the way that they played there and i mean on another day they'd have lost this game i think that that is something that is worth bearing in mind on another day this game would have been over by the time they scored their first goal so that's all i'd say to that i guess uh let's see a couple of other results which had some movement at the top or or lack thereof for for some of these teams such as uh, freiburg they fell out of the rarefied air of the Champions League places, although not very far. They did have a pretty comprehensive loss away to Union Berlin. You know, Christian Streich, who who John Harding put into his sort of coaching pantheon just a few minutes ago, he ever the really honest guy after this game, he, he will never lead you astray with his comments. He said, you know what? This was a well-deserved loss. We were bad. He also got after his own fans for their heavy use of, of flares uh, ahead of this game, which, you know, seemed to disappoint him. And man, when, when you're, you're sort of, when the cool dad, like, like Christian Streich, talks about him being disappointed in you, you, you probably take that to heart. Yeah, absolutely. I'd look myself in my room and sulk. 
if Christian Strike was unhappy with me, uh, I really would. Uh, and he's only a few years older than I am. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, what a way to lose a game, though. Those two goals, though, um, from Ingvats and Butler were just absolute thunder bastards, just to, to, to use an expression from another podcast. Crackers, man. And, and a, a great way to do it. But yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see this game myself. Unfortunately, it was one of those Saturday games, so I wasn't uh, I wasn't able to see it. But yeah, I mean, if Christian Strike said they were poor, then they were poor. Yeah. Incidentally, this game was actually followed up by, you know, significantly more serious news than than the result of a football game, which is to say the Freiburg Sonderzug, the, uh, you know, the special train, which was, you know, hired by their, you know, away support to get them to Berlin and back, caught fire after leaving Berlin and, and on the early on the way back from, from Berlin, actually had to be evacuated uh, with, with, you know, luckily not too many serious injuries, but some of the photographs that were shown of of this uh, this train looked pretty bad. There was one car of this train which was flaming out. At least once the the folks got out of it. Unfortunately, there was a little bit of a, a jump to conclusion situation going on. I mean, I, I I'm of course no particular friend of of flares or or you know fans' obsession with them, but some people assumed that this was something that these fans had done to themselves, that they had lit off flares in their train, which of course was not true at all. It was a, you know, as far as they can tell at this point, was just some sort of mechanical failure on the train itself, which uh, caused this fire. But that was something that really gave a lot of people uh, quite quite the start on, on Saturday night. I can well imagine that's scandalous. Yeah, I mean, any, any kind of, you put your faith in public transport and in the railway operators to take every conceivable precaution. And it's utterly scandalous when something like that happens. And but it's also depressing and predictable that the first thing that many poor quarters do is blame um, the actual victims, which I think is pretty shit. Let's see, we can move on to another game which uh, lifted, I guess, Eintracht Frankfurt into that nine car pile up that was their emphatic 3-0 win at home against uh, Leverkusen on Friday night. I unfortunately missed this game, but it looked like from the highlights, a game that was was pretty much unmissable. Gonzalo Paciencia is really turning into quite the striker. It was all him in the first half of this game. Scored two goals. Uh, A bit more turbulence for the Eagles in the second half uh, when Leverkusen left a few good chances wanting. Bas Dost, however, finished it off with uh, quite a fun battling finish where he sort of fought off a number of defenders and had a, you know, falling down scoring situation. Eintracht, you you sort of gave them a few kudos earlier that they seem to have reacted quite well to losing so many important players in this team. Are you seeing another sort of uh, Eintracht storm gathering? Do they have uh, room to grow even more? Well, I don't know about that, but if this is any measure, then they have been able to overcome the setbacks that they had with losing, you know, their three strikers uh, during during the summertime. Uh, and I mean, I know there's issues between Freddie Bobic and the fans, but what I think is difficult to argue with is that these guys are really on point when it comes to you know recruiting their players. I mean, I think it helps when you're a club like Eintracht and you know your place in the pecking order, you think these guys are good, we're going to have to sell them at some point because they're going to want to go to bigger clubs and also we're going to need to bring in money as well. So they can then start presumably forecasting and looking around and saying, well, who can we bring in and at what point? And that system at the moment seems to be working out nicely for them. 
and it's enviable. And we were just talking about Schalke now. They haven't got anything like that kind of process. Otherwise, these guys probably would have rocked up at Schalke. So, you know, hats off to them for for, for that con- continuity. But also keeping hold of guys like De Costa and Hasebi and Kostic and keeping them uh, ticking over. And, of course, you know, I know Hinteregg is a bit of a legend with a lot of people. So, you know, there's a nice balance to that to that football club and to that squad. Um, and I, I think we can we can look forward to, you know, an entertaining season. Yep, yep, I think so too. I think that there will be, you know, they'll, they'll mount a challenge for Europe again. I don't know uh, if things will go quite as, as bumpily in the run-in as it did last year, but, you know. For, for Eintracht fans' sake, uh, here's hoping that they, they find some, some consistency. A little bit further down, although, you know, as we mentioned before, not that far down anymore, was, was the match between Hertha and Bremen. This one took place in Bremen, uh, a place where Hertha had not won since uh, 2005, if I'm not mistaken, although they had, had gotten some draws. It ended 1-1. Bremen took the lead early through, through Josh Sargent, whose shot went off a sort of... <laughs> deflected nutmeg of Dedrick Boyata. A lot of half chances for both sides followed. A couple of nice saves from Rudy Jarstein before Dodi Lukabakio stunned the home crowd in the 70th minute with this crazy solo run off of the wing capped by a goal that went in off the post. I have to say this was probably a pretty fortunate win for Hertha. They only had two shots on target all game, but you can also look at it. Bremen got kind of a taste of what they have done lately to uh, to, to Bayfell Bay and to Eintracht by, you know, doing doing a good bit to establish and keep a lead, but just not quite enough to hold it all the way. Uh, yeah, well, obviously it was a draw, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just want to sing the praises of Dodi Lukabakio. I'm delighted to see that uh, he's working out there at Hertha. Every time I watch that guy play, I think I don't know quite why Watford let that guy go because the way he'd been playing in Fortuna last season I thought they must have been looking at him and thinking that guy's good why don't we play him and they'll be sitting there at the bottom of the league going yeah we may have missed a trick there so yeah I mean I know the last time I was on Matt you were angsting about Hertha and their prospects for the season but you must be feeling considerably better things look to have it's not been spectacular and also because and also you're not one of the, the nine the big nine so that must be disappointing but at the same time when you look at that bottom three, you know, <laughs> you must be relieved that things have settled down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest with you here, Terry. <laughs> when there's a big nine, <laughs> you want to be part of it. <laughs> if you're not part of the big nine, that means <laughs> you're in 10th place, which is actually not that great. No, I, I am feeling I'm feeling significantly better. Um, I'm not feeling yet like... Antichovic has quite worked out the kinks of how to get his best players on the pitch together. You know, Hertha, at least during this good run, have largely sort of lived and died by the sort of flashes of brilliance of, you know, partly Veda Dabisevic, who's gotten some pretty critical goals, but, you know, also Javaro Dilrosun and, you know, in this case, Dodi Lukabakio. And one of the unfortunate things in this run of games has been that for whatever reason, Antichovic has has sort of put Lukabakio and Dilrosun in the same bin, and they haven't played together hardly at all. It's if if he, if one plays, the other one's on the bench, and you know, I think 
if these are the guys who are sort of your most dynamic, most sort of wild card attackers, I mean, this is this has sort of been the waters have been muddied a little bit by the the addition of Wolf, who's played on the other wing since he's arrived, and all three of those guys love to you know go with pace up the wing. They love to dribble, and to a greater or lesser extent, they are are, are pretty good at it uh, by sort of Bundesliga standards. And you can't play all three. And, you know, you have to figure out a way to get as many of them on the pitch as you can. You have to figure out a way to have them harmonize with Veda Dabisevic. And for certain stretches of certain games, that's worked. But I still feel like there's a little bit of a ways to go. I mean, a lot of good things have been said about the, you know, the change of bringing Vladimir Derrida in, uh, in, in, in place of Andre Duda, who started off the season, you know, not really quite where you want him to be. But there does seem to be something missing at times. Uh, and I don't feel like riding your luck on the sort of dynamic wing magic of, of a couple of players in every game is going to be a, a great long-term strategy for, for creating chances. I mean, Hertha have not been, been lighting the league on fire by, with, with, with creating chances. So I still think there's a little bit of a ways to go, but Yes, having having eleven points is is a great place to be uh, after just a few weeks ago when we had one. A couple of more games in the mop up section of this podcast. We had Dusseldorf with a one nil win over Mainz null fünf. This was Friedhelm Funkel's you know five hundred and second game or something like that in the Bundesliga. He's done it all, of course. But he had seen everything except a win over Mites heading into this game. But now he has gone and he's done it. Thanks to Reuven Hennings, the guy who is actually turning into an elite attacker in the Bundesliga. He's third on the top goal scorer charts, which is wild. Gotta be happy for Reuven Hennings, somebody who's who's come come from not a lot of of praise to a really good guy. Yep, absolutely. And uh, just a measure of, you know, how this season is throwing up uh, unpredictable heroes. Yep, no doubt. Uh, also, the other hero in this game, of course, for uh, Dusseldorf was Mainz player Edmilson Fernandez, who got himself sent off for two real, real dumb, reckless challenges. I think that also had quite a lot to do with the way this game played out. And finally, we had Cologne and their 3-0 win over Paderborn. Obviously, a great result for for Cologne. They needed this result quite badly. Uh, and a really ominous result for Paderborn, who, you know, we've given them a lot of praise on this podcast, uh, not only for their sort of attacking verve and overall team speed, which is just a lot of fun to watch, but they've managed to score in, in all the games prior to this. And uh, to get whipped 3-0 by Cologne is uh, not where you want to be, guys. Yeah, no, I can't. I don't really have much more to add to that. But apart from that, that yeah, they look like there is no other plan, no other option for them apart from to play the way that they play, and that is to try and score goals, and that just didn't work. And yeah, it's. Uh, it, I mean, when you're conceding with the with the greatest apologies to him and to Cologne fans, if you're conceding goals to Simon Taroda, then the chances are that you're a second division side. Exactly, exactly. That's 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 how you get Simon Taroda to score. He's like a he's like a second division detector. That guy. 
if he scores against you, you're going down. Or you're already down, depending on what what division you're in. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, big uh, confidence boost, obviously, for FC Khan. I mean, I mean the the project under Bayer is is staggering along. I mean, they've got problems of their own, but they will be mightily relieved that they have come up against clearly the worst team in the division and have emerged as comfortable winners and can continue on for another week. That is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Really good to have you back on the podcast. Of course, Terry DeFallon, it had been a few weeks, and, uh, you know, that's that's long enough. It is long enough anymore, and I start to come out in hives. I'm looking forward to my next invite already, <laughs> man. Exactly. I mean, it, you, it, some sort of illness has struck you in, in the weeks that you've been away. I can't, can't imagine that isn't uh, at least a correlation, if not a causation. Yeah. I'm feeling better already. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, you can follow Terry, of course, at Terry DeFellin. You can read his newsletter on the Bundesliga, which comes out just about every week. How, what's the uh, the subscription address for that one, Terry? So that's uh, tinyletter.com forward slash Bundesbag. But the aforementioned illnesses have affected the scheduling of that newsletter. So hopefully back on schedule from this week. I trust you 100%. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, of course, you can do that at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods. Do leave us a rating. It is, of course, a big help. Talking Foosball Fantasy, your favorite Bundesliga fantasy podcast. They're coming back later in the week. JT and Flo will be telling you everything you need to know about Match Day 9. It won't be another week of unlimited transfers, but uh, you'll still get your three. Anyway, bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all. 